Breakfast Business with Enterprise Ireland on News Talk. 14 years since the start of the Eurozone debt crisis, which all but destroyed the economies of Greece, Portugal, Spain, and of course Ireland. The Institute of International Finance, or the IIF, which represents the global banking fraternity, was at the centre of that, especially when it came to Greek debt forgiveness. Nowadays, people are more worried about Chinese debt levels and uh, geopolitical tensions brought about by Russia. I spoke to Robin Brooks, the former chief economist with the IIF, and began by asking him about whether the Western economies were disconnecting from China. There's a lot of concern, Robin, about China. Property prices are falling and Evergrande is bust. And there is also worry that the global trade may be decoupling from China after 30 years of dependence on the mainland. That seems to be less of a case. Obviously, there's the economic picture in China, which is a a big question mark, and the data visibility is not great. There is decoupling from China, which I'll talk about in a second. But most importantly, obviously, there's geopolitics, and there's a growing rivalry between China and the Western world. And the West is not 100% sure how to deal with that. And I think what we will talk about later in the podcast, the sanctions that we have going on Russia and all the circumvention that is happening is, of course, from the Chinese perspective, quite welcome because it means that the West can't get its act together in terms of confronting a geopolitical adversary. So China has many parallels, actually, with Russia. It, like Russia, is a current account surplus country. Russia exports energy to the West. China exports lots of finished goods, especially to U.S. consumers. And so the trade deep that you mentioned uh, is about, you know, are we able to, after a period of max globalization, basically, in which we put a lot of manufacturing capacity in China, are we able to decouple ourselves? And The reality is that there's endless machines in the ground. There's endless factories that have been put up over the past couple of decades. Disentangling ourselves is going to be a super slow process. And what we are observing is that direct trade of the United States with China may be down, but China is routing its exports via third countries, so especially Vietnam and Mexico. There's a story in today's Financial Times on on Chinese goods coming to the United States via Mexico. On the economic picture in China, this goes back to the global financial crisis. China helped the world and itself, of course, during the 2008-2009 crisis by ramping up leverage and using that to do a big infrastructure stimulus, that is now coming back to haunt China because you basically have a massive debt overhang. That obviously is reflected in in what is going on in the real estate sector. It's going on in terms of bad debts all over the place. But do I think that China is on the verge of imploding? No, we're just going to be looking at slow growth. So My scenario is that China kind of plateaus at a relatively high level and barring, you know, an escalation of geopolitics, it's just going to be plodding along and it's no longer going to be the growth driver that the world is used to. Uh, You've written quite a bit about uh, European companies and countries continuing to sell vicariously to Russia. 
despite swinging sanctions. Armenia and some of the stands in Central Asia appear to be doing a booming trade in rerouting goods from Europe to Russia. I'm a proud EU citizen. And so what has been going on in terms of these exports, I think, falls firmly under, are we serious about confronting Russia in economic terms? And I think the answer, unfortunately, is no. There is a narrative out there, Joe, as you know, that gets a huge amount of play that is that sanctions don't work oh, they will be circumvented, it's hopeless, it'll never work. And it is a narrative that almost paints the West as being helpless. I think that narrative is completely wrong. It is actually kind of destructive because it it makes us look like we are helpless when we are not. And my impression is that that narrative is being encouraged by pretty narrow economic interests who are interested primarily in making short-term profits. So European exporters obviously are being disrupted by the trade restrictions that we have imposed vis-a-vis Russia. They want to keep exporting to Russia. They're doing so via countries in Central Asia. Um, If you look at the countries in the West, in the EU, that are doing this most actively, it is Germany, which is a big manufacturing hub and therefore produces lots of goods that Russia needs and wants. But it's also many other EU countries. Poland is another big exporter to Central Asia and the Caucasus. The Baltics are also heavily involved. Are these companies doing this without the knowledge of their governments or is this government, a government sanctioning this? Great question, Joe. So let me give you the example of Germany. Germany has been exporting in unprecedented volumes to Central Asia. And one of the craziest data points is Kyrgyzstan, which is a tiny country. German exports of cars and car parts to Kyrgyzstan are up about 5,000% from before Russia's invasion of Ukraine. I post, as you know, frequently on Twitter, one of my friends looped in the German customs service and they responded by saying, you know, we've checked these individual transactions, they're fine. So the problem is that people are looking at an individual transaction level, but then when you put the big picture together and you look at the overall volume of trade, it's completely nuts. Is there any scenario where cars to Kyrgyzstan can be rationally explained as going up 5,000%? Absolutely not. This stuff is going to Russia. The problem is, even if these goods are not directly under sanctions, they, as if they're cars and car parts, they're obviously dual use and they can be used in Russia's war in Ukraine. Yes, indeed. It does highlight the fact that the European Union has powers within its own orbit but not outside. It doesn't have extrajudicial powers, whereas the Americans have and often use their extrajudicial powers. Yeah, I think this is a really important point. So first of all, I think the EU is guilty of not enforcing hard enough the various measures that we have imposed on Russia. And the export question is one big example so going back to the German example with 5,000% increase, increase in exports of cars and parts to Kyrgyzstan, obviously the German customs agency could be going to these companies and saying, hey, 
what's going on here. This makes no sense. Another example within the EU is the EU actually provides uh, a big chunk of transportation to Russia for its oil. Uh, a lot of oil tankers are owned by Greek shipping magnates. These Greek shipping magnates have been selling their old oil tankers to Russia for its shadow fleet. And that completely undercuts the G7 oil price cap, which is a way uh, the West has devised to uh, reduce the flow of money um, to Russia for its war. So again, this is an example where the EU really is not living up to what it should be doing in terms of tightening the belt around Russia and reducing the flow of money. Now, Obviously, the Americans are leading the charge here. If you, for example, impose sanctions on a small country like Kyrgyzstan, I don't think that that would have any negative repercussions on the global economy. Kyrgyzstan is much too small to be significant, but it would really scare off, I think, a lot of the exports that are happening to the region. And, and my best guess is that that trade would totally collapse. Yeah, and that's something that the European Council almost certainly will have to grapple with in the very, very near future. While I have you, Robin, your former employer, the IIF, which I suppose is the, the Trade Association for Global Financiers, they were very busy during the Eurozone crisis 10, 12 years ago, especially in Greece. Would you say that European banks are now in better shape, much better shape than they were at the time of the great financial crisis? So I'm not going to talk about European banks per se. As you know, I'm not at the IIF anymore. Let me say a couple of things about the Eurozone, though, which relate to the question. The, the basic issue in the Eurozone is that some countries have very high levels of debt, notably Italy, which has debt to GDP around 150 percent. Uh, Spain, debt to GDP around 120%, Greece uh, around 200%. Um, the issue around that debt, which obviously bears on the financial sector, is unresolved. Um, there has never been a Eurozone-wide agreement on bringing these debt levels down. And so it is increasingly causing the ECB, the Eurozone Central Bank, and also Ireland's Central Bank, to get entangled in trying to protect these countries from a debt crisis. And what that means in practice, Joe, is that the ECB is doing operations on the side to buy the debt of these countries to explicitly boost the price of that debt or doing verbal intervention to keep interest rates in these countries down. Is that Eurozone monetary policy? I think that's highly questionable. And I think the transparency of, of these operations is also quite low. So on the underlying issue in the Eurozone, this debt overhang in some of these places, I don't think a lot of progress has been made to answer your question. Gosh, right. Well, none of us, of course, want to go back to where we were 14 years ago, uh, certainly not the people in Ireland in which uh, house prices fell by 50% uh, in the aftermath of that. But overall, would you say that we are in a relatively okay bit economically in Europe? I think it depends on how worried you are about the US election later this year. Well, quite um, a few people in Europe are very nervous about uh, Donald Trump's re-election. Yes. Uh, obviously, politically, they won't say anything in public, but a lot of people are nervous. 
So I think the U.S. election is pivotal for Europe because it has it may have such big implications for Ukraine. If the United States decides to withdraw financial and military support for Ukraine, this would be a material negative shock for Europe. Um, and that is why, going back to our earlier discussion on implementation of sanctions, you know, what the EU has really done is to kind of kick the can. This is a time-tested tradition in, in the EU and the Eurozone. I mentioned debt. The issues around debt were never really resolved. That's a big kick the can down the road. On sanctions and um, confronting Russia economically, we could have pushed Russia into a financial crisis right after it invaded Ukraine by uh, doing an oil embargo or a really aggressive G7 oil price cap. We could have basically done a full trade boycott. We decided not to. And so the EU basically has stored up a lot of problems, which now are fast approaching in the form of this US election. So not all is lost, right? But the time really is now to enforce these sanctions as hard as you can. Breakfast Business with Enterprise Ireland on News Talk.